Dear friends, God can use anything and everything to meet your needs. Sometimes those of us who've been in desperate situations and we feel God providing for us, we're surprised by the avenues God uses to provide for us. Welcome to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. We're currently in a series called Provision, a biblical study of how God is the great provider. If you've missed any of this series or would like to hear them again, they're all available through our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. Today, David continues this series with part two of a message called Generosity. So here we have a story of Elijah's faith being developed. And as his faith is being developed, God provides for him every single one of his needs as the scripture promises to all of us who have placed God first and his kingdom first and believe that he is able to give us what we need. The first story is verses one through seven. It's Elijah at the brook of Cherith. After Elijah spoke to Ahab and said, God's going to close up the heavens, the dew and the water from the ground for three and a half years, God immediately spoke to him and said, go to Cherith and wait there for me. I want to give you two faith principles in these verses with which God deals in Elijah's heart. And I want you to see how they're necessary faith developments before the provision actually comes. First of all, notice that God only gives the next step to Elijah. Often that next step is revealed through impressions in our heart that are consistent with God's word. Uh, Sometimes it's an actual verbal word we hear in our minds and we know it's God speaking to us. Sometimes we're just reading the scripture and something on these pages leaps out at us and we know what God wants us to do. But God gives us impressions and he lets us know what the next step is. But folks, he doesn't usually give more than just the next step. So many of us want to know, well, where is this ultimately going to take us? With Elijah, he didn't know that ultimately he was going to confront the evil prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel and eventually thereafter confront Ahab and Jezebel themselves. He didn't know that was ultimately what God had planned. He only knew that God said, go to Cherith. And he just took the next step that God gave him. In Psalm 119, it says, God's word is a lamp to our feet. In in that day, they actually tied lamps to their feet so that when they walked at night, they could see the next step. But notice God said, I'm a lamp to your feet, not a headlight in the night. He gives us just the next step. Why? Because he wants us to develop total faith, total dependence upon him and him alone. And if we know God is leading us, If we know he's the one who's leading us to a place, we can rest assured that as we go to Cherith, we are operating in the perfect will of God. Please hear this. God does give us vision and strength for our lives. Again, Elijah's name means Jehovah is my strength. God is my strength. He gives us his strength, but he usually doesn't give us more than just the next step because he's trying to develop deep and abiding faith within our hearts. And then notice also the value of the hidden life here. God says to Elijah, go to Cherith and there hide yourself by the brook Cherith. Notice the hide yourself. God needed some time alone, one-on-one with Elijah to continue to develop his faith. God did the same thing with King David. 
before David ever went to the palace, he had to operate alone in the pastures. It was during those times when David was alone, just with the sheep, that God dealt with his heart and made him a man after God's own heart. If you're going to be serious about your relationship with God, you need to know he will drive you to places where it's just you and him alone. He'll take you into the wilderness where you have to deal with him and him alone. During those wilderness times, during the Cherith times, is when he develops an understanding of who he is and who we are. We all need time alone, not just daily with our quiet times. We need elongated times alone with God when he can drive our hearts deep in him. Dear friends, if you're going to be serious about God, you need to get alone with God, you need to be hidden with God, and you need to hear God in your quiet moments where he infills your heart with the presence and power of his Holy Spirit like never before. Every great saint in the Bible went through times like this. Paul in prison, where he is alone with Christ. During that time, he writes most of the New Testament. John on the island of Patmos, alone, exiled. During this time, he has a revelation from Jesus and writes the entire book of Revelation. Jesus himself, out of his tremendous baptism experience, when he's at a high and hears God's voice say, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Right after that in Matthew 4, he's driven into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit where he experiences a face-to-face -face confrontation with the evil one. His greatest high went to a greatest low where he was alone with God and God alone and he had to do battle with the evil one to prepare him for the ministry of the cross. Very seldom will God give us beyond just the next step. But when he takes us to the brook Cherith and he gives us that next step and we're hidden with him and we're dealing one-on-one -on -one with him, rest assured, he will provide for you. That's when the provision came to Elijah and notice how God provided for him through ravens. Ravens would bring to Elijah every day in the morning and in the evening bread and meat. He would drink the water that would be the source of water for him. And every morning he'd have bread and meat. And in the evening he'd have bread and meat. And what is so interesting is ravens are carrion birds. In other words, they are roadkill birds. They eat off the meat of other dead animals. And yet God used unclean birds who fed off roadkill to bring Elijah Good meat, a good provision. Dear friends, God can use anything and everything to meet your needs. Sometimes those of us who've been in desperate situations and we feel God providing for us, we're surprised by the avenues God uses to provide for us. God uses ravens, unclean birds, roadkill birds to bring the necessary food for Elijah. The provision was a daily provision, much like God did the Israelites as they wandered through the, Israel, uh, through the wilderness. And every morning, there was manna waiting for them. God provides. Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. Give us this day our daily bread. That term, daily bread, interestingly, is a Greek term that no one really knew exactly what it meant until in an excavation sometime years ago, they found that term, what was on a woman's shopping list. It was her daily shopping list. It's what she had to buy just for that day. You see, way back when, there was not refrigeration like we have it today, so people would buy just what they needed for that day. 
God supplied Elijah's daily needs. He gives us the next step. He drives us deep in him, and then he promises to provide our every daily need. It's part of his name, Jehovah Jireh. God is our provider. He has promised to meet all of our needs, not our greeds, in Christ Jesus, according to Jesus' bank account in heaven, which is inexhaustible in every possible way. So that's the first story with Elijah by the book Cherith. And then God suddenly says to him, now leave. As the brook is drying up, and it's often the case as we start seeing our surroundings dry up, as we start to feel like our time in this particular place has had its sufficiency, it's time to move on to another place. Right at that moment when we see the brook Cherith drying up, God says to us, now I want you to go to a new place. And he does that with Elijah. And we see the second story in 1 Kings 17, verses 8 through 16. It's Elijah at Zarephath. Now, Zarephath is an interesting city. God calls Elijah to move immediately to this city. And it is so interesting because it is basically the home area of Jezebel, of Jezebel, the evil queen who was causing most of the Baal worship in Israel. God turns to Elijah and says, I basically want you to go into your enemy's home court, and I want you to play her there. I want you to play against all the Baal worshipers there. I mean, it'd be like trying to beat Duke at Cameron Indoor Stadium or Ohio State on their home football field. That's what God was calling Elijah to do. So Elijah picks up and immediately goes to Zarephath, and there God says to him, when you're there and you enter the city, which he did, it seems to suggest as nightfall was occurring, There's going to be a woman there, God said to Elijah, and you need to go up to her and ask her to bring you some water, and from there, she will supply your every need. Well, Elijah gets to the city, and he finds the woman there as he enters. She's a widow woman in a Canaanite city, in a godless city, in a place that is Jezebel's home area. She's unclean, and yet Elijah goes up to her and says, not only do I want some water, but would you bring me a morsel of food? And she looks at him surprised as she's gathering sticks to provide a fire for her and her son that was probably going to be their last supper. She says to him, I've got these sticks. I've got one cup of flour. I've got just a little bit of oil left. And I was basically going to make a fire, mix that together. My son and I were going to eat it, and then we were going to sit down and die because it's hopeless. We have no one to provide for us. That's the situation that Elijah walks into. And with Elijah in Zarephath, as he was dealing with this woman, uh, God is teaching him two lessons here, I think. First of all, when he calls him to go to Zarephath, immediate obedience Immediate obedience. Folks, delayed obedience is disobedience. Immediately when God called him to leave Cherith and go to Zarephath, he went. And that's a part of developing faith too, listening to the voice of God whenever he calls you to do something, immediately to do it. And also, please realize that God's plan sometimes means the furnace. It's interesting that the term Zarephath means the smelting furnace. 
God called Elijah to move into the smelting furnace, the, again, home court of Jezebel, a, a place where his pride would be burned up when he had to go ask an unclean woman to give him a basic meal, uh, when he had to depend totally upon God and no one else. And here in this area, he is experiencing a depth of God's provision like never before. So here the woman then goes and does exactly what Elijah asked her to do. She fixes a cake with the only flour and oil she has left. And then amazingly, the flour starts to expand. The oil starts to expand, and she has not only enough to fix for her son and herself that evening and Elijah himself, probably a second helping, she has enough to continue to feed her son, herself, and Elijah for days to come. The jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. So God provided for this woman until the day that rain finally came. We know that Elijah prayed, and for three and a half years, there was no rain. That was God's way of saying, I'm God, not Baal. Then Elijah prayed again, and for three and a half years, it did rain. It's not Baal who controls the dew and the rain from heaven. It is God himself who controls that. So the woman had provision from God in a supernatural, miraculous way. How did this happen? Don't miss this. It is so key to provision. Last week, we saw how Abraham did not receive the provision from God, the ram in the thicket, understanding Jehovah Jireh, God is his provider, until he was willing to place Isaac on the altar, until he opened his hands to God and said, I'll do whatever you want me to do, and became one who placed Isaac on the altar. Then and only then did God become his provider. Notice here. Similarly, that the oil and the flour did not continue to expand supernaturally and miraculously until the woman gave to Elijah what she had. Dear friends, I know many of you are going through some very difficult times. You're going through financial difficulties. You're going through familial difficulties. Stress is around you at every corner. You're in your own Zarephaths. You're in your own burning furnaces. You feel like everything around you just isn't operating the way it can. But let me encourage you about the principle of provision. The principle of provision comes when people are willing to give whatever they can for the glory of God. God cannot provide for a person with a clutched fist. God cannot give to someone who has a clutched fist. It's only when we realize that God alone is our provision and we will do whatever he tells us to do immediately, being a lamp to our feet. And even if we're in the furnace, we're going to continue to give. Even if we're at the bottom of our barrel and have only a little bit of flour left and a little bit of oil left, we're going to give what we can and we're going to trust God with whatever and with our hands outstretched, we believe that God God's promises are true, that he said he will meet our every need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He made the promise that if we seek first the kingdom of God, all these other things will come to us, and he will often provide through other people. He might provide through ravens. He might provide simply supernaturally. It is God's way to move people to provide for us. 
It's God's way to move upon miracles to perform for us. It's God's job to perform the miracles. But we simply give him the opportunity with outstretched, generous hands, saying to him, Lord, I trust you. I believe in you. I want to be like Elijah and go wherever you call me to go, do whatever you call me to do. And I believe that if I operate in that way, you will not only provide for me, you will provide generously for me, and I will have the privilege of seeing you work. Some of you say, a miracle like oil expanding, flour expanding. I don't think I believe in that. Well, if you don't believe in that, you really haven't read Genesis 1-1 in the Bible. If Genesis 1-1 is true, the rest of the miracles in the Bible are easy to believe in. Genesis 1-1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And if God created the heavens and the earth, he is quite able to supernaturally override the laws that he has built into this universe to do whatever he wants to do. Many of us have seen God work. We've seen his miracles, and we know that he provides for us most often in our most desperate situations where we are hiding ourselves in him, deepened in him, in our furnaces, trusting in him, obeying him, giving what little we have, and then believing that he'll expand that in supernatural, miraculous ways. That's what Elijah knew. That's what the widow at Zarephath knew. That's what the word provision basically means, that God is wanting to give us his vision for our lives, that as we trust in him, as we believe in him, as we give to him, he will then supply our every need in his ability exceedingly and abundantly beyond anything we could have ever hoped for or imagined. Dear friends, that's the lesson of Abraham. That's the lesson of Elijah. It will be the lesson we learn next week as we look at another prophet of God, Elisha, and then in the final message of the provision series, an unknown character that we will look at who's the hero of that story. But all the stories are the same. People who totally depend upon God, who rest in Him, who give to Him. They are used by Him mightily, but also He promises to meet their daily needs. He promises to meet their daily bread, and he does. That's the message today for all days. Amen. You're listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Thanks for listening. Coming up, David joins me in the studio with a conversation about the powerful proofs of the resurrection. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Tony Marciano, President and CEO of Charlotte Rescue Mission. Let me ask you a question. What do you do when you stand at the intersection of homelessness and addiction? Let me put you in that person's shoes for just a second. What is it that you really need? You've probably been one of the individuals who stood at the end of the interstate ramp, holding a sign that said, hungry, will work for food. But you never used the money for food. You bought booze and drugs with it. And most likely, you hate your life. Your addiction has stolen every aspect of hope. You want to be part of the fabric of society, but every morning your addiction screams and you surrender to it. There is one thing you do need, and that is transformation. The place to go is Charlotte Rescue Mission. Charlotte Rescue Mission works from the inside out to address the root cause of someone at the crossroads of addiction and homelessness. The Rescue Mission provides free, Christian, residential, high-quality substance abuse recovery programs to members of our community 
who otherwise would not be able to afford such services. With a passion for holistic transformation and a love for Christ, the mission's 120-day program has transformed the lives of thousands of men and women in our community. Charlotte Rescue Mission is grateful for the financial partnership of Moments of Hope Church. I'm Jen Houston. Thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thank you so much for joining us. It's great being with you, Jen. You as well. Well, David, in this morning's e-devotions, you challenge us to look closely at the powerful proof that the Bible gives us about the resurrection of Jesus. I'd love to hear more on this. Yeah, Jen, uh, here is the truth. Paul said it in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, that if we don't have the resurrection, Christians are people most to be pitied. Mm-hmm. But we do have the resurrection. And Christians need to realize the Bible didn't write the resurrection. The resurrection wrote the Bible. In other words, because of the resurrection, Jesus is God. He then formed a worshiping people who said Jesus is Lord, and then out of that community of faith, the Bible was written. So for people who want to argue the Bible and different verses and understandings of how it was written, etc., that's fine. We can answer those questions. But the most powerful question that people have to answer is this one. Was Jesus raised from the dead? Because if he was raised from the dead, that means he's God. That means the scripture is true because Jesus quoted from the scripture all the time. God quoting from the scripture shows that the scripture is true in every possible way, and we therefore have the basis for what we believe. And here is what people have to understand. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul also talks about how over 500 people saw that Jesus was alive. That included Paul himself, who went from persecutor of the church to the major proclaimer of the gospel of Jesus, James, Jesus' half-brother, who was a serious skeptic who, during Jesus' earthly ministry, wanted him to keep coming home and not uh, expose himself to this potential death that he was assuredly going to face by the Jewish officials. And also, there were others that Paul named there and ask, hey, if you want to know about their experience in seeing a resurrected Jesus, go talk to them. Now, here's what's so fascinating, Jen, is those people that Paul named in 1 Corinthians 15 and many of the others who faithfully followed Jesus suffered persecution and even martyrdom. The 12 disciples themselves, including James, the half-brother of Jesus, all died according to their views of Jesus as Lord. Now, here's the important question to ask. Do people die for a lie? Do people die for a lie? Of course not. I mean, people are self-protective. You think of the Watergate incident, for example. Chuck Colson talks about this in his very famous book, Born Again, written decades ago. But he said, of the 12 major Watergate people who were brought under the law to testify against President Nixon— Every single one of them did. They all turned state's evidence. Why? Because that's what human nature does. Mm -hmm. It protects itself when under the pressure of persecution or potential death. Well, in Jesus' case, though, with all of these disciples, every single one of them went through their martyrdom and eventually to their death, crying out, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is raised from the dead. Now, why did they do that? 
because they'd seen a resurrected Jesus. Now, if they were lying, all I can tell you is the first time the Roman authorities tried to whip my back Mm -hmm. or threw hot oil on my back because I said I'd seen a resurrected Jesus and it wasn't true, I'd say because of my human nature, just kidding, not really true. But people don't die for what they know is a lie. The Mm -hmm. disciples had seen a resurrected Jesus. It's the most powerful apologetic to prove what Christians believe today. Wow, this is so compelling. Thank you so much, David. And I hope all of you will cry out, Jesus is alive, because it is the bedrock of our Christian commitment. And if you'd like to receive these daily e-blasts from me, go to momentsofhopechurch.org. You can subscribe there from my heart to yours, free of charge in your inbox every morning at 7 a.m. to give your day a moment of hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. We would love to have you join us for worship this Sunday morning. We meet at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte at 10 a.m. You can find more information on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. And while you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moments of Hope, delivered every morning to your inbox. And also, check out David's HopeCast. They're both free and available at momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to pray for our teachers to be refreshed this summer. 